listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. So Acts chapter 12, continuing here, and next week we go into a, a short little Christmas series. But Acts chapter 12, we're going through the book of Acts. We've been doing this in the last number of falls that we've had as a church, and uh, we have slowly made it to, to, through Acts 12, but today we're going to cover a whole chapter. As I said last week, the book of Acts, 28 chapters, covers approximately 30 years of history. And the history of the book of Acts can also be found just not in the Word of God, but in secular history. And you see God's word, secular history, matching up beautifully. And you see the way that, that this here in the book of Acts is a historical account of the early church. But all we're getting in 28 chapters in over 30 years are snapshots. And last week we took a look at how the word of God, the gospel went to Antioch. You see that nice little uh, dot there. I uh, see the circle, that's where Jerusalem is. But then the word of God moved into Antioch and the goal was the far, far corner of the screen to get it to Rome. And by the time the book of Acts ends, the gospel is penetrating uh, the, the heart of the Roman Empire. And, um, and so we're part ways through the book and we see a snapshot last week of Antioch, but today we're getting a snapshot of what's going on at in Jerusalem at the church there where things originally started on the day of Pentecost. And so we're going to see this here in Acts 12. But remember, this is simply not a historical account. If you have a historical kind of mind, even if you don't, just remember this is not just a historical account. This is the word of God. And 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us this. I put these verses on the screen. Got to understand this. Look at this. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All scripture. So, so this isn't just a nice little story and it's an amazing jailbreak story. It's not just a great story. There are truths. There are principles here that we can take and we can apply to our lives, to our church, to your situation right now. Teaching, training, getting us ready as that verse then goes on to even say in, in the following verse so that the man of God, so the servant of God will be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You want to be equipped for every good work? Word of God, that's where the answer is. And so, so here in Acts 12, we have this history, but there's teaching, there's some reproof here, I believe, <clears throat> as we go through this, and there's some training and some instruction for us here. So in Acts 12, things are not going very well for the church in Jerusalem. Not only was there a famine in the land, there was greater difficulty going on. Things were becoming very serious. Things were desperate. It was even, even starting to look hopeless for the church as they were in a real... Uh, season of discouragement. What do you do when you're discouraged? What do you do when life throws you a curveball? When all of a sudden the bottom drops out and whether that happens quickly within a phone call, within a doctor's appointment, whatever that might be, or whether it's a gradual kind of thing. What do you do when life seems bleak, when hope seems lost? Do you phone a friend? Do you eat? Someone said, yes, you may eat, you may drink, you may find some sort of way to kind of just block it out and, and just try to ignore it. That's why we have all of this comfort food these days, you know, and uh, what do you do? Phone a friend, go to Facebook. What do we do when life throws us the curveball? Do we pray? Oh, yeah, yeah, I pray, I pray. But do we really pray? I mean, I mean do we really, really, really pray? Do we really get after? Do we call others to pray? 
Do we call the church to pray or do we struggle alone? Say, I got this, I got this, I got my pride. Yeah, you do have your pride and you need to get rid of it. I have my pride. You know, no, are you calling others? Are you inviting others into your life to be able to stand with you, pray for you, get into your your life in, in, in these areas and have them pray with you and for you? This is what we see, the pattern of what God is calling his church to do. And see, today we're going to see what happens when God's people pray. And when God's people pray, watch out. When God's people really get after prayer, chains get broken. And this chapter begins looking so bleak, but ends in victory. It looks hopeless, and yet the king of kings still had another move. And he continues to have more and more moves for his children. This reversal comes only because of a church that was desperate in prayer. Oh, may this be a challenge for us personally, individually in our own lives, but also for us as a church. I I pray that our, our, our third pillar, believing firmly in the power of prayer, would be accelerated this day in our own lives and as a church. When God's people pray, first thing, I encourage you to write these things down. There's going to be five things to write down. There might be more than that, but five points here. When God's people pray, we are reminded God is in control, even when life isn't. Even when life is out of control, we can rest in the fact that God is in control. We're going to pick this up at verse one and follow along. I encourage you to be following along on, on your gadget or on your printed copy of the word of God. Verse one of Acts 12. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but encourage you to write down to, to underline that word, but this is a great, but in the Bible, encourage you to write it down. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, just to give a little historical context of what's, what's going on here, there's, there's five different Herods that are named in Scripture, in the New Testament. There's even more, uh, more Herods in, uh, in secular history, but we have five of them uh, that are listed. Today, we're going to quickly look at three of them just to give you a little historical context of the Herod that we're, we're dealing with here. The first Herod that we see in, in the New Testament is Herod the Great. And these are uh, some actual coins that, w- that were found. You're going to see this kind of, again, this is cool. This happened. This is real. This is real life kind of stuff that, that took place. This is the Herod. Herod the Great is the one who we read about in Matthew 2 um, that the wise men came and inquired of. And he said, oh, you know, tell me where he is once you find him so I can worship him too. And, and, and out of fear and jealousy, he had all the baby boys killed in the region. He had them put to death. Then there was Herod Antipas, or or sometimes referred to as the Tetrarch. This is the son of Herod the Great. And he is the one that beheaded John the Baptist and the one whom Jesus stood before in his illegal trial uh, before his crucifixion. Then here in Acts chapter 12, we see Herod Agrippa. And this is the one we're dealing with today. All of these Herods, I mean, they had power, but they didn't have ultimate power. They were all clients 
kings or puppet kings, if you want to call it, to the Roman Empire. Remember in that map how far Rome was away from Jerusalem? And so these puppet kings were placed in there and it was basically their job, keep the people happy. You know, there's that old statement, you know, uh, happy wife, happy life. Well, for these Herods, happy Jews means good news. I kind of did the rhyme thing. Does that work? You know, it kind of works. You know, happy wife, happy life, happy Jews. That's good news. You know, and so it was a good thing to keep the Jews happy because then if if there's peace in the land, the Roman Empire was happy with the job you're doing. If, if there was a lot of unrest, ah, you're out. We'll put in another puppet king to, to kind of take things. And so King Agrippa, he was quite the guy. When you read about him, just at a young age, he actually was kind of, he was taken for his own safety to Rome. He was trained there. He grew up there. He kind of hung out with, with the royals and was a bit of a playboy. He was a very flamboyant. He was the classic politician, you know, who in all of the excitement, he hoped that he never ever said too much that would cause him any trouble. And, and, you know, he, he was just able to kind of keep the Jews happy on one side, but then he also liked to sow his wild oats, if you know what I mean, his royal oats. So usually, I mean, when he was in Jerusalem, he would keep all of the, the, the Jewish ceremonies and different things because it made the Jews happy. Hey, we have Herod here who, you know, is, is keeping the ceremonies. He's endorsing what we're doing. But then when he needed to sow his royal oats, he would go down to Caesarea where there was, there was also a palace there and, and uh, a great big theater and, and different things. And, and uh, it was on the, on the sea, great place to go, hang out and, and, and be himself, I guess you could say. And so Herod found out, you know, happy Jews, that's good news. And so Herod was a guy who we see here in, ver- in the first part here, he's laying violent hands on people in the church. He's killing them. And this, he founds out, kind of finds out, this makes the Jewish establishment very, very, very happy. And so in verse 2, we see that he then has James, the brother of John, killed. Now, Stephen, as you will remember back in Acts chapter 7, he was the first martyr. But now James is now killed. He was the first apostle. He was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. Now, this is not not James, the half-brother of Jesus, who later on you see in Acts chapter 15, who becomes the leader in the church in Jerusalem. This is James, the brother of John. I love these guys. I mean, James and John, they were rugged kind of guys. They were called the sons of thunder. And I can come up with a number of reasons why they would have been called this. They were, they were, they were these rough, aggressive, kind of loud, let's get after it. I mean, when the Samaritans weren't, weren't being favorable to the gospel message that, that, that was being spoken, they were like, you know, they want to call down fire from heaven and just destroy these, these crazy Samaritans for not believing this. I mean, these guys were get it done kind of guys. Plus, they along, Peter, James, and John were kind of in the inner three with Jesus. On the Mount of Transfiguration, there was the three. There was Peter, James, and John. So here we have already James is put to death. James is put to death, and now we see Peter is in prison. Herod had killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And this is an interesting account in Jewish writings. Someone who was killed with the sword, usually they didn't kill people by the sword, only those were killed with the sword, and it it means they were beheaded. It was for those who would lead people after false gods. They were for apostates. They were for unbelievers that were, or people that were leading people astray. And so Herod saw this please the Jews, and so he thought, let's go after the big fish. 
let's go after Peter. We're going to get Peter. Let's, let, let, let's, let's get him. So they arrest him, but it's during the Feast of Passover. And again, he wanted to observe, want to respect the Jewish laws. So there's going to be no beheading during this time. The Feast of Passover, which is then followed by, by the Days of Unleavened Bread, which is kind of ironic that this is a, 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 a time, a seven days, where they're purging themselves of any area of known sin. And they're dealing with all of this. Meanwhile, they have Peter in prison and they're about ready to, to kill him once it's over. And so, so you have this, this feast going on, this, this uh, feast of unleavened bread. And basically Herod's like, this guy is not getting away. So four squads of soldiers, a, f- a squad consisted of four soldiers. And so there was four, um, four squads of them. So that equals how many? 16, so, and they would go in three-hour shifts, and so they would just keep, there would be four of them always there. Two of them were chained, we read a little later on, two of them were chained to Peter, and two of them were outside the prison doors. No one's coming in, and Peter's not getting out, because after all, in Acts 5, we have Peter, the disciples who are in prison, and they get kind of, the first jailbreak we see, they get busted out by an angel, and now that was a Sanhedrin prison. That wasn't the real deal. Now they're in Herod's royal prison. This is maximum security, chained to, chained to soldiers. There's no way these guys are getting, or, or there's no way that he's going to get out now. This situation seemed utterly hopeless. Peter is hours away from dying, and this would be Apostle number two. And they're just starting to no doubt wonder who's going to be next. Are they just going to work it right through all of the disciples? Are they going to keep killing off more and more of these believers? God's people appeared very powerless in the midst of a very grim situation. And so what was the church doing? Were they running around frantically? Were they running, headed for the hills? Verse five, what does it say? Encourage you to underline another word here. It says, but earnest. Underline the word earnest, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. What's the church doing? They're praying. They're seeking God. Now, this word earnest means intense, constant, let's keep going kind of prayer. This wasn't the, dear God, please help Peter. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Is the, are the Canucks playing tonight? Or is there snacks after prayer time? Or that, no, it wasn't this, it was Let's get after this. Let's pray. This is the middle of the night. The clock is, is ticking. No one's sleeping. They're praying. And the author here, Luke, who also wrote the gospel of Luke, used the same adverb here, the word earnestly, which previously he used in the gospel of Luke to describe the intense agony in prayer that Jesus was praying with in the garden. This was agonizing earnest, fervent prayer. There was a dependency, a pleading on God that they knew there was nothing they could do and yet it was the most important thing they could do was to seek God. Notice it says the word the church was praying. Notice it didn't say the prayer team. It didn't say the intercessors. It didn't say a group of seniors or a group of women who like to pray. It says the church. The church was gathered and, and they also believe that the house that they're praying in was a rather large house because there were, there were still, many of them had, had left Jerusalem, but there was still a good number. As well, they may have been praying in, in other houses in Jerusalem because not everyone w- w- was there at the time. So perhaps they were all praying, you know, it's just like, hey, your guys a small group, you guys get together and you all join together with this small group and you guys get after in prayer. You guys meet over here in prayer. And so they are praying together. Love this quote by John Stott. I put it, we have it here on the screen for you. This is the showdown. Here then, 
Here then were two communities, the world and the church, arrayed against one another, each wielding an appropriate weapon. On the one side was the authority of Herod, the power of the sword, and the security of prison. On the other side, the church turned to prayer, and, uh, which is the only weapon the powerless possess. But it's also the only weapon that is needed. Now, just in case you didn't know, there is a jailbreak coming, and it is awesome. All right, so, so just, you know, spoiler alert, just, just now you know it, there is a jailbreak that's coming a little later on in this chapter if, you, if, if you're not familiar with this story. But perhaps you're sitting here even right now, or maybe you've read this passage before, and you kind of think, hmm, that's all cool, and I love jailbreak stories. I mean, warm my heart, it, it, it increases my faith, it, it, it's really awesome. But it didn't go so well for James. I mean, what was wrong with James? Why is Peter going to get rescued and James dies? That doesn't seem very fair. Did God love him more? Did the church not pray for his deliverance? And so they learned their lesson and, and kind of like, let's get, no, I'm sure the church was praying for James that his life would be spared and yet he died. Both men were valuable. Both had great potential. They both had been trained the inner three there with Jesus. I mean, these guys were it. Sons of thunder. Now, Peter, Peter, I mean, that guy, he, I mean, that guy has, I mean, he could preach. He preaches and, and, and now we're going to lose him too. Both were so valuable. You know, this is what I absolutely love about the word of God is that it doesn't hide this fact that for some there's death and others there's deliverance. That's the beauty of God's word. It's not like, you know, like if I was writing this, I would kind of try to hide the bad news story kind of in another chapter and keep this one as a yay God story. But God's word is just very straightforward. For some, there's going to be death and some there's going to be deliverance. And you know, folks, sooner or later, all of us will come and need to come to grips with this. At times, and some of you have already done it, and I'm just telling you, fasten your seatbelt because it will happen sooner or later in our lives. We will come to similar circumstances in our lives where we are desperately calling be out before God. We may experience deliverance or we may also experience death. Maybe it's an illness, cancer, loss of a loved one, loss of a job or a business. This person's business is going great and their finances are awesome and mine stinks. Or maybe it's a strained son or daughter, an unwanted divorce, a betrayal, a tough work or family environment, a, a battle that just seems impossible. And you're praying and praying and praying and there's no deliverance. And you see other people getting answers to their prayer. What's going on here? And for the church, even though people were dying, including James and Peter's in prison, it seemed like they were losing ground. Didn't seem like they were winning. It didn't deter them from banding together, turning to God in prayer. In fact, there was even a greater intensity. There's a fervency taking place here. It didn't, it didn't stop them. And, and, and just as we were worshiping, just, just even that one so, song that went on, there's one throne that's higher. There's one throne that is higher than Herod's throne. Yes, James may have been killed by the sword, but he experienced the throne room of God. 
Something far greater than our our finite minds. We cannot comprehend that. And yet here on this earth, we're in this dilemma. And let's face it though, at times we pray, we pray, we pray. Nothing happens. In fact, the opposite happens what we're asking for. And sometimes we're even tempted to say, what's the use? I'll just muscle it out myself. I'll just, I'll do the token prayer thing, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, pray with fervency. I'm not going to keep at it. Or I've prayed and prayed. It's not fair. It's not right. And at some point, people walk away from God at these very points in their lives to become bitter, become angry towards God. How come you didn't answer my prayer? How come you didn't bless me like you've blessed them? And my life, my situation is going from bad to worse. I mean, I can still wear that plastic smile on a Sunday morning, but on the inside, I'm just, just falling apart. I'm freaking out inside. And yet the heart that seeks God, that holds on to God, will also see and comes to believe and will also see that God can bring beauty from the ashes. That through the most horrid and the most difficult circumstances, God reigns supreme and that he can be glorified even in the midst of it. There are things that will come into our lives, and some of you know this from experience. They may even not even look like coming close to a blessing, And you hear, oh, one day you'll give thanks for this. It's like, shut up. I will not. There is nothing good in this. But as we draw close to him, as we continue to seek him, he turns. He turns our lives. He turns those circumstances to the point where we end up saying, oh, God, you are good. And we worship him in the midst of that or after that. I've been there, folks. I've been there in the trials, in the battles, in the confusion that I've faced in my life over the years. Not nearly as horrific as some of the trials that I know some of you have faced. But in the midst of these trials, I remember saying, and people say one day I'll give God thanks for this. Yeah, right. They're crazy. They're smoking something. It must be that, that Kelowna tobacco or something. Like, how can they ever say that? I won't be thanking God for this ever. And whether it was, I remember just as a teenager, whether it was a cousin who was killed in a car accident and just devastated me. A battle with a tremendous fear and anxiety as a young pastor to the loss of a job, to betrayal of friends. And we say in the midst of it at times, we're tempted to say, there's no good in this. What good can come of this? And yet for the heart that continues to seek God and comes to a place of inviting others into our lives in these times and we have others standing with us in prayer, speaking into our life, these situations, you turn around and you say, oh God, thank you. Not for the circumstances, but for what you have taught me and what you have done and how you have brought me through. And even at times we end up seeing those circumstances are a gift of grace, God's grace. And so oftentimes we give up way too soon. If you're at the point even today of wanting to give up on a certain person or a certain situation or a certain desire or a prayer, a longing in your heart, and you're just saying, what's the use? I've been praying and nothing's changed. Don't quit. Don't stop now. Don't stop. Invite others to come into your life to pray with you and for you with that. You see, you say, but I just don't have the faith anymore. You know how you get the faith? You say, how do I get more faith? Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing the word of God. Faith comes through getting to know the word of God. You see, we always want an explanation from God. He says, I don't want to just give you an explanation as to why this happened. I want you to understand my promises that are available for you. 
He's a God who desires a relationship with us, not just a 911 God. And as we grow in this, how do we grow in this relationship? Through the word of God, through seeking him in prayer. It's in this earnest prayer that we realize our dependency on him. We come to see that God is good, that he is sovereign. Isaiah 55 is a reminder to us that our thoughts are not his thoughts, that his ways are higher than our ways. And remember in the midst of these trials and these battles that he is there with us. And he appoints his messengers, he appoints those who come and speak words of truth in our lives. I'm so thankful for those faithful messengers in my life. I remember one time in the midst of one of my early trials as, as a young pastor, my mother reminding me this statement and it continues to stick with me that at times when we can't understand God's ways, we have to trust his heart and his heart is one of love. His heart is one for our best that he desires after he has tried us that, that we will come through as gold. Heard the statement this week. It says, God answers all, uh, God answers all my prayers the same way I would answer them if I had his wisdom, his power, and his love. When God's people pray earnestly and seek him, we are reminded in that time that he is in control, even at times when it doesn't look like life is in control at all, that we're out of control. The second thing that we see here is that when God's people pray, he gives his children peace. Okay, seriously, this is the best. I mean, just ramp it up. I mean, this is exciting. Verse six. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. This, so we'll just stop there for a moment. So, so this was just hours. Tick tock, tick tock, tick tock before uh, Peter was, was going to die by the sword. There'd be a fake little trial that would take place and that uh, they chop off his head. And what's he doing? He's sawing logs. He's out cold. He's praying. He's sleeping between these soldiers. Isn't that crazy? You say, well, maybe he's just one of those guys that, you know, just sit him down, lay him down, and he's out cold. Well, that's enough about your husband, right? I mean, maybe, maybe your husband is like that, or, you know, like you get into church, same thing. You get in these comfy seats, you're out cold. You know, maybe Peter was just like that. He's just a guy who could fall asleep anytime, place. No, I believe God was given his child here peace. The way that you see that Peter's kind of a wound up kind of guy, I'm sure that, that at times it would have affected his sleep, but what's happening the night before, tick tock, tick tock, before he dies, he's out cold. He's just, he's sound asleep and he is out, we'll see. He is, he, he is sleeping really well. I've walked with people over the years who have faced some of the most brutal trials and storms in their life. And it's so amazing always to, oftentimes to hear from people say about the peace that God gives them. The peace that comes as a result of having a heart that is turning towards God and knowing and having people enlisted in prayer, the encouragement, the support that that brings and the power that that brings. When God's people pray, number three, chains are broken, people get, get set free, resulting in great joy. Verse seven, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, get up quickly, and the chains fell off his hand. I mean, this, this is, again, just a great part of the story here. This was not, hey, Peter, Peter, it's the angel. Yeah, hey, Peter, wake up, Peter. No, it, it says he struck him. 
that's a very powerful word. He got smacked. I mean, he must have been so, have you ever had that where you've tried to wake up someone and you just couldn't do it? I, my brother and I, in my teenage years, we shared a room and I mean, to try to get him up and try to get him to the breakfast table by eight o'clock, because if, if he wasn't there, there was usually, it just wasn't a great thing. And, and so it was like, Carlin, get up, come on. And I would be working, I'm trying to get, the only thing oftentimes that would work would be the cup of water. You know, it, it would be, you know, just throwing the cup of water or just even at times he'd hear in the bathroom, he, he hear the tap go on. He's like, he knows he's getting it. So he'd get up out of bed. I mean, Peter was so out of it. This, this angel needed to strike him and strike him a good smack. And as the smack happens, the chains are broken. Verse eight. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your, your sandals. I mean, Peter's so out of it. Like he's, you know, no doubt. Like what's going on? His chains are free. And he's like, come on, put on your clothes. Wrap your cloak, you know, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done by the, by the angel was, uh, that the angel was real. But though he was, but though he was seeing a vision or thought, sorry, thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, No, I'm sure that the Lord has sent an angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from, from all the Jewish people that were expecting. It took him a while to realize it, this is no dream. This, this was a jailbreak. This is a big event. This is something the Lord's doing. This was something only that the power of God could do. It's the only thing that, it's the same thing in our lives that only the power of God can do in us. To break chains. To set prisoners free. And this happened as a result of prayer and it can happen today. When God's people pray, chains are broken. Sin. The chain of sin, the pattern of sin in our lives is broken through the power of God. Addictions, lust, pornography, guilt, and shame from the past. It's a chain. It's a chain that is wrapped around the hearts of many of God's people. These things I've listed off here and there's more. There's discouragement. There's depression. There's, there, there's, there's fear. There's anxiety. Whatever there, the chain is, our God can break it. The power of God can break every chain. There is a jailbreak that is possible for you today. The way that your mind is functioning today, there is hope, there is healing, there is a, a, a break in the chain that can happen to give you a new way of thinking. No matter what the situation, our God is stronger than. And sometimes chains are broken immediately. And other times they're not. I remember a number of years ago praying for a lady in our church who had been really struggling. She was really desiring to be set free from 45 years of smoking almost a pack of day. And just she knew that as God was calling her to be obedient in this and, and just an area of surrender and, and that in her own life. And, and she called um, the church to pray. She, she asked for a number of individuals to, to pray for her and, and, and to pray that she would be released of this. 45 years of smoking, gone. No desire. A month later, she goes to the doctor and said, you are so healthy. There's no, your lungs, nothing wrong with them. And she has great health. That chain was broken just like that. But not every chain will be broken like that. 
There's some chains that are broken through a long obedience in the same direction. As we continue to stay faithful and obedient and we're trusting God and we have others around us, chains, chains usually, they're pretty hard to break on your own. You've only got one hand. We need others. We need brothers and sisters walking with us in community, but we also, ultimately, the great chain breaker is our God, the power of God that is available. Sometimes those chains get broken immediately and other times it's a long and a steady obedience and then the freedom comes. Then the freedom comes. Verse 12, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it's his angel. You're crazy. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, because after all, the guards might be coming. They might find out there's a jailbreak. He described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. And th this is such a cute part of the story. I love this part. You have Rhoda, a young servant girl. She goes to the door, and the custom back then was that when you would be knocking on the door, you'd say, this is Peter. It's Peter. It's Peter. So she goes to the door, wondering who it is, and hears, it's Peter. Like, this is so amazing. It's Peter. Now, she goes running to them, and, and Rhoda, uh, the Greek translation of that is blonde. Okay? No, it's not. It, actually, Rhoda means rose. But, but, you know, they're thinking, oh, ditzy girl. Like, what's she thinking? Like, there's no way that, that she, you know, I mean, come on. You know, like, we're... We're busy praying here, Rhoda, that Peter will be set free from prison, you know, and she's like, he's out there. He's out there for real, for real. And they wouldn't believe, they're the crazy ones, right? They wouldn't believe her. Love this. When God's people pray, chains are broken, people are set free, and they're filled with joy. And notice how they tried to explain it. Oh, it, it's his angel. No, God answered their prayers, and they didn't even realize it. They're trying to explain it away. Trying to, you know, give some kind of scientific or some kind of, you know, well, not even this one is spiritual reason as to why it would happen. Don't we do that sometimes? We're praying, we're praying, we're praying, and God's answering, and we're justifying what, what actually really happened. I got so convicted of this this past week. Recently, just kind of facing a bit of a discouraging situation, and I called some dear people to pray and, and, and asked them how to, told them, like, here's how we need to pray for this situation. And, and a few days later, that situation, like 180, drastically changed. And I sat there finding myself analyzing an explanation as to, you know, like, what, what actually must have happened there. And no, it, it's God's answering, and I'm explaining. I'm trying to explain what, what's really going on here. And, and God said, I'll tell you what's really going on. I'm answering your prayer for crying out loud. Trust me. Believe me. Draw, draw to me. Depend on me. Come to me. Can you imagine the joy 
the tears, the, the rejoicing, the high-fiving that's going on. Like, it's just like, this is awesome. And he explains how he, like, I'm sound asleep, and I get whacked. This angel comes, and my chains drop off. And we walk through these gates, and these guys are like, they're looking like right through me. They can't even see what's going on. And, and first automated doors, you know, first automated doors open up. You know, that's where if you want to get trademarked, that's where it happened. First, you know, doors open automatically, and then he's like, oh, it must be the Lord. You know, he's so out of it. Yeah, love this story. This is amazing. When God's people pray, the enemy gets thrown into confusion and finally is defeated. Verse 18, now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had happened to be coming. You think? I mean, they're turning the prison upside down. What happened? This all had the makings though of an inside job though, didn't it? Verse 19, and Herod, after he searched for them and did not find them, he examined. That word examine means, oh, he examined them all right. It was with one of those torture exams. It's just like, we're going to beat you to a pulp to get an answer out of you because you guys must have, this was an inside job. And because they couldn't confess, they had no idea what ended up happening. And, and may, maybe they became aware of the angel. I don't know exactly. And he ordered that they should be put to death. So 16 lose their lives. Then Herod went down to Caesarea and spent some time there. I guess he's getting out of town. I mean, he's embarrassed. I mean, there was a jailbreak out of the federal prison, out of the royal prison. You know, like, how does this happen? What an embarrassment. Well, verse 21, we see that as he's down there, he says, at an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne and delivered an, an oration to the people. Now, now, this is funny. Josephus, we don't have this history in the Bible, but Josephus, uh, uh, a writer, a historical writer at this time, talked about this happening in a great big um, amphitheater that is actually... Uh, there today at, at this spot. And, and what he did is he dressed himself in, in silver threads, very glowy, kind of like tinfoil probably is what we liken it today. And so when he comes and he speaks, um, he, he's just glowing. And he speaks, and, and these people, they're just, they're just saying this. They don't really mean that he's the voice of God. He's controlling their food, because there's more stuff that, that's going on here. And, and, uh, and so he's controlling their food, and, and, and so they see him, and they say, the voice of a God, not a man. And he's just loving it. He's just loving the worship. He's just loving it. And immediately it says, an angel of the Lord struck him down, because he did not give glory, give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last now, most people die and are eaten by worms. He was eaten by worms and then he died. Notice Peter was struck by an angel and was set free. Notice Herod here was struck by an angel. It's the same word for strike. And he died, Josephus says, five days later. And the medical realities of a death like this would show that he died a slow, painful, disgusting death probably tapeworms that were 10 to 16 inches long. And finally, he succumbed to, to um, the worms. I wonder today, have you been struck by the power of God? Either we have been touched by God in the way that Peter was touched by God, that the chains are broken, the chains of sin and death have been broken in our lives as we've called out to Jesus as Savior and Lord. And if we haven't, the end result is we will be struck like Herod in judgment and separation from God. James was struck. He ended up in heaven. Herod, 
in hell. We can live in defiance of the one true God and one day we will be struck down in judgment and eternally separated from God. Now, God does not always bring about retribution this quickly. I mean, this is, again, this is a snapshot. And here, this is happening possibly in the course of a month, maybe even a few weeks. We don't even know for sure. But God will have the final say in every and all situations. All injustice that we see in our world, all the injustice that we see will be made right. God will have the final say. Chains can be broken, but it comes not through pride. Herod was a proudful man thinking, thinking I am a God. He, he kept that worship, how dangerous it is to keep worship that is thrown upon us and not direct it back to God who's the giver of all things. What a reversal from the start of the chapter, hey? Where things look pretty bleak, and now things, I mean, this is amazing. At the beginning, Herod is on a rampage, arresting, killing. And at the end, he is struck down and he dies. All the evil, all the bad we see in the world, it's going to end. It's going to end. And the rights will be, all the wrongs will be righted. And there will be justice. The book here in, in, in Acts 12, it starts with James dead, Peter in prison, and Herod, who is triumphant at the, this point, and it closes with Herod, who is dead. Peter is free, and the word of God is spreading. And how did this all happen? Through God's people who pray. People who get after prayer. It happened as a result. Verse five, or, or the last thing here, number five. When God's people pray, the word of God multiplies. Verse 24, but the word of God increased and multiplied. It's interesting that the growth of the church is described in this way. True growth in a church doesn't happen through numbers, through statistics. True growth in the church happens when the word of God increases and multiplies in the life of a person. And as God's word is increasing and multiplying and changing in my life, and I'm living out his word, it's going to have an effect on others. Lost get saved. Saved people grow in the word of God, and the word of God multiplies, and it has an effect on the lives of others, and, and more lost people get saved, and, and, and saved people matured. Churches get planted. That's true growth. And this all happened because of prayer. Prayer.